Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Amen. Acts chapter 10 tonight. Uh, we've been going through what I call some of the classic uh, messages that I've preached over the years. Many of them were used in, in, in our travels. I never, ever really targeted messages at any place to, to, you know, I'm going here, I want to preach this, this, and this. It's amazing. Most meetings I would go to, and many of them there at the end of our time of travel were uh, eight meetings a week. I would start on a Sunday morning and do two services through Wednesday night, eight services. And it was funny, if you, if you prayed, you know, and, and sought the Lord, uh, I learned this from other ministers that were older than me, he'd show you what to do. Every church is different and every, every meeting would be different. It was amazing what God would do. And so, you know, some of those messages, you'd get them and you'd preach it this way at one church. You'd go to another church and preach it and it was nothing, nothing like what you preached over here. Uh, the Word of God, that's a, I like what, what one minister said years ago. He said, the Word of God is like climbing up a mountain. He says, you climb up one side, you get a, you know, climb up the north side and you look to the north, you get the north view. But that's not how the south view looks. That's not how the west view looks. That's not how the east. And you know, there are things that God can lift up out of the word and make it real to you. And not only can it be real to you, it can have an effect of causing faith in others and cause it to be real to them and it not even be relevant to the, to the uh, what would you, how would you say it? It wouldn't be relevant to what it was, what, what, what it was written in. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the story, you just lift up one scripture. One of our uh, favorites of our family was Ezekiel, is Ezekiel 16, 6. When I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thy own blood, I said unto thee, live. Well, if you go study what's around that scripture, you see that's, that's really not a healing scripture. It's talking about restoration of Israel. That's what it's talking about. But actually, the Spirit of God moved on my grandmother one time, and she began to use that, that verse toward anything that was bleeding. She'd lay hands on it and say, in the name of Jesus, I claim Ezekiel 16, 6, when I passed by thee and saw thee polluting thy own blood, I said unto thee to live. And I tell you, we saw God do miracles. I mean, on me <laughs> when I was bleeding and it needed to stop. I mean, it was miraculous. See, that's a revelation that God can just bring. So we need to be flexible and never be, never be, so, uh, never be so tied to the dogma of some doctrine that God can't change how we believe something. That's one of the most amazing things i ever heard in my life is the first day of Bible school in September of 1984. And in comes Brother John Osteen. And he says, you know, he begins to talk about all of his, all of his accolades as far as, as far as his education. He had two doctorates of divinity. He had a couple of uh, uh, conferred doctorates. He had all these other names and letters and all this stuff. But he said this, he said, I never cast out a devil by any of that. And this is, this is what he said. He said, this is what all this taught me. All the education taught me this. He said, you can teach people for year after year after year and none of them have any revelation whatsoever and they won't even believe what they've been studying year after year. He said, but if you get a revelation from the Word of God, he said, when I begin to get revelation, now this is what he said and I believe it can be proved out. He said, when I begin to get revelation from the Word of God after this huge education, after 19 years as a denominational pastor, when I begin to get revelation is when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Then the Bible came alive to me because that was a living experience and it's a living book, the two go together. Right. Amen. I've listened to some of the teachers that I know do not have the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And they're some of the most studied, excellent pulpit etiquette. I mean, they can just lay it on smooth as butter. But I can tell that what they believe and what is reality to them is two different things. 
And it's easy for them to lay that out, especially with the lights and the crowds and all that kind of stuff. But actually living by that is so far from their imagination or mind that it's as far as the east is from the west. You say, why is that? It's because they're involved in what I call corporate religion. And corporate religion is a big, huge business. Aren't you glad we're not involved in that? Amen. Amen. I mean, you say, why? Why shouldn't we be? Because it's nothing but politics. It's nothing but intimidation. It's the same old, same old you'll find in any world system. That's why things like this, they don't have a long shelf life. You say, why not? Because man will get a hold of it if it's not the next generation or the next generation. Sometime man will get a hold of it and organize it and, and do all the other things that he needs to do and the God will move and go down and find some other beach bum with something. Give them something to go out and touch the world with. Amen? Literally, that's the way God does it. So when Brother Osteen said, I reserve my right to change my doctrine at any time, that blew me away. I reserve my right to change my doctrine at any time. Well, certainly we do if the Word of God gives us greater revelation. Amen? And that greater, greater revelation from the Word of God is always, listen, it's always confirmed by what God does with that revelation. That's how you can tell it's from God. I mean, we begin to teach a lot on faith and on redemption. And the reason that people wanted us to continue to come back to their church and teach on faith and redemption because they saw how it was working in their church. People were beginning to see who they were in Christ. People were beginning to see how faith operates, how it works, how powerful your words are. People begin to see that, yeah, I can believe God for something other than just trying to recover from something. I mean, I begin to get, people begin to get inspired, fired up, believe in God for things. I remember one time I was in Aransas a Pass and there was a... a, a a neighborhood that they were building right where the bridge was. And I'm telling you, there were some beautiful homes in that neighborhood. This was back in, oh, 1994, 95, 96, right in there. And so I just made the comment in a day teaching one time. I just made the comment. I said, you know, somebody in here ought to rise up in faith and buy one of those houses. And you know, about three years later, I was coming into a service there, drove in out in the parking lot. This guy came up to me. He said, I was in that meeting when you said that. He said, you know, my wife and I were fixing to buy another house that wasn't near as nice. He said, we thought we're just going to get in faith and do what Brother Rusty said and believe God. And they ended up buying one of those houses in that addition over there. Amen. The word works. I said the word works. So I don't know how we got off on that, but it's good anyway. Acts chapter 10. Now, this particular message, the first time I heard it, a man named Rudy Vitoshnik preached it. Brother Rudy was an amazing evangelist. He was very bold. He and uh, several others were people who really pioneered uh, the destruction of the Iron Curtain through revival. They smuggled books all into Russia and the Soviet Union, all the Eastern Bloc countries like Romania, Hungary, all of Poland, all of those nations when it was very dangerous to do it. They were captured by the uh, KGB. Uh, they were captured and put on a train that the KGB used to go up around in, in Siberia and do their investigations and things. And they prophesied to those Siberian agents that within 10 years they would have that train and those Siberian agents thought they were crazy and let them go. Ten years later, they were on that train. They raised up 6,000 churches in that area. And they owned that train. Amen. So Brother Rudy was, hey, brother, brother Rudy's in heaven now, and, and he was a great blessing, great friend. I did meetings with him in Ireland. I did them with him all, all around the United States. But the first time I ever heard this message, he preached it. And he titled it, The Elements are the Ingredients of Revival. We know it's the story of Cornelius. We've used it many times. But there's also some things about it that you'll, if you'll begin to 
dig into this story and meditate and, and do the whole chapter, chapter 10. Just go through it, meditate on it, and let it begin to really speak to you. There's something in this chapter that helps you recognize and realize that real revival is dependent on individuals. You can have the most anointed preacher in the world, but if you don't have individuals willing to believe the Word of God and, and participate with the move of the Holy Ghost, you're not going to have anything. Amen? I mean, it's easy to gather uh, big crowds when there's no demand. But when a demand gets put, put on you, I mean, I guarantee you when a demand gets put on you, then that's a little bit different story. A lot of times people in a situation like this think, well, you know, what makes that pastor get up there and think that we should be responsible for believing God for something like that? Well, because it's in the Word of God. And if you walk close to God, you should have a yearning or a desire in you for what's going on in heaven to be going on on earth right now. You say, what would that look like? That would look like refreshing, revival, outpourings, and harvest. That's what it looked like. That's why Jesus said, pray that his will be done on earth that it is in heaven. God's going to move upon this earth mightily. He's not going to let the devil have the last hand. He's not going to let the devil, you know, manifest his way and just, and just push God out and just say, you know, we're just going to, no, no, you're going to see God move in a powerful way and you're either going to be an observer or a participant. And being a participant doesn't necessarily mean finding some place where there's thousands of people doing something that may or may not look like a move of God. Being a participant is dependent upon, dependent upon you finding that revival in yourself, in your own heart. I've used this illustration before because we do it all the time. It's easy to go into the prayer room and pray and, and come in here and, and, and stretch our hands toward the, different, toward the different nations and pray and call out the names of missionaries. It's easy to pray for revival in the world. It's easy to pray for revival in our nation. It's even easy to pray for revival in Galveston and in our church. That's easy. You say, why is that easy? Because you get up off your knees and you expect God to do something. But when you start praying for revival in yourself, then that responsibility of doing something is transferred from God to you. And that's how real revival starts. It may not take but two or three or four or five or six or seven. That's why numbers have never moved me. I've preached a little, much smaller crowds than this and much, much bigger crowds. It, crowds don't move me. What moves me is are people receiving and is their heart being changed to the point that they really desire to seek the kingdom of God and discover a revival on the inside of them. I think I've been a revival looking for a place to happen for 30, almost 38 years now. Everywhere I go, I love to tell people about Jesus. Share the word of God. Talk about healing. Talk about miracles. Talk about the goodness of God. Talk about what we're expecting. I tell you, one thing we're not doing, we're talking more about COVID and the government messed up and all this other stuff. We're talking more about that than we are talking about the rapture. Where the Bible says, is this truly the last days? We should be comforting one another with words about the catching away and that that would bring comfort and peace to our hearts in the midst of perilous times. And we're not talking about it yet. We're still talking about COVID and everything else that's going on out in the world. We need to change our conversation. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. And I, I listen, I know this for sure. He's coming back for those that are willing to stir what's on the inside of them into a fever pitch and a blazing fire so that everywhere they go, they're just a revival looking for a place to happen. I see it stirring here. I see people that are like that. I see it in some of the young people. I see it in some of you. 
You say, well, how does that happen? You've got to pray. You've got to get close to God. You've got to make a decision. There is a revival, and I'm going to discover it in me. My responsibility is to discover my own personal revival and to get it going and keep it going. And the devil will always try to discourage you. He'll always try to victimize you. He'll always try to include you with the world bunch, but you're not of this world. I mean, I can feel it. I don't know if you can feel it. I can feel the pull of eternity on me. I can feel it. I can sense it in the air. There's something so spiritual, something so supernatural. Listen, all this craziness. I mean, the world has gone nuts. Amen. I mean, all this stuff that's going on with people doing all this crazy, all this stuff, and, and people are getting hurt in the midst of it, dying, all this craziness. Listen, that's this world system convulsing. Amen, it is. It is it's writhing. It, it's doing everything it can do to find its identity. It knows its time is coming. But in the meantime, God's preparing a bride upon the earth to be caught away. And in the meantime, this bride is supposed to be withholding that which is darkness and evil upon the earth through prayer, intercession, evangelism, and everything God's called us to do. Amen. Amen. That's where the joy of this life is. Uh, if you, listen, if your good time level has come down since this has started, then I challenge you to begin to seek God and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost and begin to stir something up on the inside of you because I don't know about you, I'm excited and I'm having a great time watching what my God is doing. What a time to be alive. Amen. Well, I don't care if it doesn't look like what happened in the 80s. or the, I don't care what it looks like. But whatever it is, I want to be right in the midst of it. Amen. So here in Acts chapter 10, I've tried to go there three times. I had, maybe I can do it now. Maybe if I look at it, I can do it. <laughs> Acts chapter 10 says there's a certain man. So it, it's, it's always about a person. It's always about an individual. Jesus came and died for the world, but he also came and died for you as an individual. If God knew you were the only one that would, ever, would have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, he would have still sent Jesus to die for you. He loves you that much. Yes. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, there was a certain man, a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was an officer in a cohort. Let's see if I can get it right. A cohort was 600 men that had six centurions that, that, a, that a, like a, a, a higher officer. There was a name for it. I had that name right on the... Not a centurion, but a, anyway, I'll think of it in a minute. But it's like, it's, it's a very simple military structure is what it is. He's over 100 men. Now, historians, pretty much all biblical historians agree that he was Roman. He was Gentile. But he somehow got exposed to Judaism. And through John's baptism was exposed to the desire of a coming Messiah. One coming after me whose shoe latch I'm not worthy to tie. They kind of lumped him in with the group that was there in, in, in uh, Ephesus. Remember they, were, they had believed unto, to, to John's baptism. Remember that? Now the reason there were people like that around is because there was an evangelist named Apollos who had gotten fired up at the baptism of John and he'd been three and a half years all around the world preaching the baptism of John. Setting the stage for Paul to come behind him and begin to raise up the move of God among the Gentiles. That's us. Because through Jewish eyes, there's no black, brown, there's no, you're either Jewish or you're Gentile. That's it. So thank God for, for a Gentile 
that was willing. Now, could you imagine what that might have done to his reputation? Or his, or his uh, you know, his uh, uh, standing in the, quote, military community. Because how, how or why? But let me give you a little background. Most of the Romans, especially when you get to the level of a centurion, they all serve the God of the, of the planets, Mars and Venus and all this kind of stuff. And they all kind of, it was kind of like a competition because like if you were a young and upcoming officer and you're getting all the breaks, everybody wanted to serve the God you were serving. But if you were kind of, you know, beat up and tore down and all this kind of stuff, nobody wanted to serve the God you're serving. Amen. I mean, that's how their religious system was set up. But then here you got this centurion. Now he's, you're, you're serving the God of these people we defeated? Over these people we're ruling over? Over these people we've captured? Over these people we can do anything we want to, too? Nobody say anything? We're the law? Why are you serving their God? Their God ain't done anything for them. Well, that just shows you right there, there's something about God. There's just something about the real God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the universe. You don't have a hard time making himself known. And you don't have a hard time wooing people to his heart. That's what he was doing with Cornelius. He was just pulling him to his heart. Now the Bible says of him four different things. It says he was, he was devout, that he feared God with all of his house, that he gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God always. Amen? Now, God wouldn't have put that in the Bible if it wasn't relevant to us as an individual. He included an individual, and he also included someone that was outside the, the covenant, pulling them into the covenant, showing this is how God pulls us into the covenant. Now, whatever it was about the reality of God in his life, it caused these character traits to begin to come to the surface. Number one, he became devout. Well, of course, if he was a Jew, Jewish proselyte, that means he had to go through every ritual that was necessary for a Gentile to become a Jew, which if you go through the book of Leviticus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you see that is a pretty tough task. He was willing to go through that. Then he was willing to, if he was one of the disciples of John the Baptist, then he was willing to change his doctrine after there was talk of a move of God down at the Jordan River before Jesus was crucified. Amen? Okay, you got all this thing, all this stuff working. All this stuff working. So he becomes devout. That means you could see, you could see how he believed. You know, we use the word devout over all kinds. You know, uh, most, uh, most, uh, most I've ever heard in religious, religious circles, they use the word devout uh, to, with Catholicism. Oh, yeah, my, my uncle's a devout Catholic. Well, what does that mean? That means every time they ring the bell in the church, he's going to go there. That means he has, the, 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 he has all the little cards. He's got all the little statues. He's got all the little candles. He's got all the beads. Amen. He's got, all the, he's got everything that he needs. To, for, if you were to investigate him, you could prove he was. Amen. Now, now, if somebody investigated your life, what could they prove? Could you be convicted for being a faith person? <laughs> Amen. I mean, if you were investigated, could they come up with enough evidence? Well, where would they look? Well, they'd probably look, see what kind of books you had around your house. They'd probably look at your history on your television set, things like that. woo <laughs> Amen. See what you've been doing on your phone. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. 
Amen. I mean, they'd probably look at your checkbook, see where you spend all your money. And they probably would be able to tell right off the bat how devout you are. Says he was devout. Now, being devout for him was definitely an inconvenience. And what's unique about all of these, quote, character traits, or as Brother Rudy used to call it, elements of revival, what's unique about them is they all can put you in a place of great inconvenience. We'll never find a convenient move of God. You know? It doesn't happen all throughout uh, the history of God's dealings with man. Everything God interacted with man with, it was all very inconvenient. What do you mean get up out of Earl of Chaldees and go, where are you telling me to go? The Bible says he went not forth, not even knowing where he was going. All right, here I go. Amen. How about Moses and two million people? We're going to follow what? Fire by day? Cloud, a cloud by day? Fire by night? What does that mean? Well, it took a few days to figure it out. Amen? Well, it wasn't convenient. Well, I'd rather stay back here with the onions and the leeks. But God wants to give you a, play, a land that flows with milk and honey. There's always been a resistance in humanity to follow God because of the fall. Do you understand that? It's in your flesh and in your mind. That, that's what's there. You've got to understand there is a natural resistance in you that you have to overcome. If you never overcome that natural resistance, you'll always be defeated. You say, what does that mean? That means there's going to be some great inconveniences if you're really going to follow God and have the move of God in your life. For Lee and I, we spent many years apart. The first 10, 11, 12 years, I was gone a lot. I was gone a whole lot. She fought some battles on her own. She had to go through some things by herself. I fought some battles on my own. I had to go through some things by, by myself. But then we come together and we've made a life together of living by faith, serving and trusting God and doing our best trying to help people. Amen. Well, you have to be devout at that. You've got to stay with that. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep going. And when you got, get knocked down, you've got to get back up. And you've got to humble yourself, sometimes to God, sometimes to people. You can't, listen, don't ever allow yourself to arm your adversary with something like offense or hurt or any little old lie or some kind of, don't do, don't, don't allow. Listen, this is a time to really live holy and pure and clean and kind of get all that stuff out of your life. You say, why? Because it really lends to your devoutness. It's really good to be able to go to church and not feel guilty. Well, if you wouldn't preach like that, I wouldn't be guilty. Well, if you wouldn't act like that, I wouldn't have to preach like this. How about that? Amen? Been hanging around Sam Carr too long. Sounded just like him, didn't it? Well, that's all right. I love Pastor Sam. But it's true. You're going to have to, you're gonna have to get devout. And devoutness is something you have to keep your foot on the accelerator about. Because as soon as you left off, let off, you'll begin to back down. Then you'll have to retake that ground again. And you don't want to have to retake that ground again. You know, I, I like what uh, one minister said years ago. He said, more people lose the victory over setbacks than anything else. And the reason they lose the victory over the setback is once the manifestation of their prayer has come, they back off. And the enemy sees they back off to a point where the faith gets weak. <laughs> Boom, setback, an attack. Steal your heel in your head. Still, the prosperity that God had. I'm telling you, that's why you got to stay strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You got to keep moving forward, seeking God. That's part of being devout. Then it said he feared God with all of his household. That means he was in a place of authority 
in his household so that he led his, his family. Now, let me just say this. Because it's easy in 2021 to say, well, you know, you gotta let, he's got to let them kind of grow up and find their own way. Listen, you've got to train up a child in the way he should go. People always marvel at that. My mom and dad say, oh, well, you just, you know, your, your kids turned out in ministry and all that. Well, listen, <laughs> we went through a lot of drama getting there, honey. <laughs> Mama knew how to whip. Daddy knew how to whip. They knew how to cut off all the privileges. And they took us to a church that kept us scared half the time because the preachers knew stuff. He used to freak us out. Amen? I mean, I, I mean, we couldn't. I remember one time we were on a Royal Rangers or, or, or the Assemblies of God type of the Boy, Boy Scouts. So we were on a Royal Ranger camp. So I was, I don't know, I might be 10, 11 years old. So we just, it's pouring down rain. It's in the middle of the summer. So we just strip all of our clothes off and run crazy through the woods. Turning over barrels full of half-drunk bottles of wine and smoking cigar butts and doing all that kind of stuff. Well, what do you think that would do to you? It'd make you sick as a dog the next morning. Well, you're in church the next morning and you're green. And here comes the pastor's wife waddling up there and she's got a word. I've got a word from the Lord. All these boys last night running naked through the woods and smoking cigar butts and drinking wine. Y'all need to come up here. Well, I, yeah, that was tough on us back then, man. <laughs> Because you know when you got up and went up there, okay, you're going to get forgiven, but you're going to get punished when you get home for sure. <laughs> Amen. Well, you learn to grin and bear it. Mom and dad feared God. My parents feared God. I had not, listen, I did not know why they took us to church so much. I mean, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night was Royal Rangers and Missionettes. Tuesday night was, prayer, uh, was choir practice and prayer meeting. Then we had all these revivals that went two weeks at a time, two services a day. We sat in every one. Then we had to go to full gospel businessmen after that. Then we had to go over to Church of Redeemer because God was moving over there. So, you know, that's what we did on Friday night. And then, you know, on Saturday night, we had to go to Evangelistic Temple because Brian Rudd was preaching there and everybody's going nuts over there. So, you know, we just went all around, around, around. And then on Saturday, we, when we wanted to go out and play football, no, we got to go to the Shamrock Hilton and see Catherine Kuhlman. 3,000 3, screaming charismatics in the, in, the, in the Shamrock Hilton, you know. So, okay, here we go. So you've got to understand, there is an element in which you have to lead and make a decision. I'm going to fear God with my house. There is an authority in every, see, there's been such an attack on the family. We could get on that and stay on that for a long time. But there is a real attack upon the family because the family represents the structure of God's authority in the earth. Did you know all law comes from the Bible? When you, when you, you, you talk to lawyers, they'll tell you all the law, it all, they, found, they, they figured out thou shalt not kill from the Bible. Thou shalt not steal. They figured that out from the Bible. And they built into society a, a, a law that should put fear in you. I'm not afraid of the governor. I'm not afraid of a police officer. I'm not afraid. But I have a fear of the, of the uh, retribution of the law if I can't behave. You ever want to misbehave? <laughs> and then you didn't because you knew the repercussions were going to be more uh, you know, that that check was going to be more than you could cash. That's right. Amen. Amen? 
Well, why did you do that? Why did you stop that? It was because there is an inherent fear in you of authority because authority is tied to punishment. Now, this centurion knew that. He's a military guy. He had to come up through the ranks. He's, he's aware of all of this. So in being devout and in fearing God, he's figuring out two components of the character of a believer that every believer should have that will keep him moving forward in the things of God, seeking the kingdom, enjoying the blessings of God. You say, why is that? Man, if you're adjusting your life on that level, especially if you're living life on his level, that means anybody can do it. Oh, I should have got a better amen than that. That means anybody can do it. That means anybody. You can live for God. Now, after that, it says he gave much. Now, if you study, I, I actually looked at some things uh, uh, yesterday, and it talked about that uh, uh, in the area where he was, if he would have been a part of those synagogues there, they were very benevolent toward the poor. So that Cornelius was probably a leader in giving, but not just giving because he was a military man and had authority in the area. He was, he was also someone that could make sure it was going to the right place. Instead of just stealing it and putting it in their pocket, that's what they'd usually do. So he was a true giver. Now, this is what's unique. You think about the situation he's in as a centurion. Well, well he's, he's part of the Roman army. They're a conquering army that have become an army of occupation, which means it's an army of occupation, just like all armies of occupation do, if they claim anything they want. They see a house they want. That, that, that's going to be my headquarters. If you notice during the European campaigns of World War II, all those generals and stuff, they'd pick these big chateaus and castles for their headquarters. You say, why did they do that? Because they could. They had the tanks and bullets. Rome was the same way. So here he is, and he's in a situation where really needs in life are really not relevant because whatever he wants, he can take. But in the midst of that, he becomes a giver. Wow. So there was a drastic mindset change as God began to deal with him as he was devout, feared the Lord, and as he gave. So therefore his motivation for giving was not trying to get a new car, a new home. His motivation for giving was to get him closer to this God that he'd fallen in love with. That was the motivation for his giving. Amen. Now, that same motivation can be carried where? It says he was devout. He feared God with all of his house, that he gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God all the time. So he's always praying. Whether he's praying under his breath, riding his horse, working his troops, marching his troops, whether he's by himself at his house. I don't know what his marital status may have been, but he said he had a household, so probably wife and kids other people that worked around him and with him in which he, was, he influenced them. Amen? So he would pray. But what is he using his prayer life to do? The same thing he was using his giving to do. The same thing he was using his fearing God to do. The same thing he was using his devoutness to do. He was doing the same thing that Paul was doing when he said, I'm trying to get a hold of what got a hold of me. I'm trying to apprehend what apprehended me. And it apprehended him literally on the other side of the covenant and the old covenant hooked him in that covenant and pulled him right into our covenant. Woo, glory to God. And God used him as the seed for revival that's been going on for the last 2,000 years. So I think there's some stuff relevant in there. 
Now, let me close with this. I love cake. Somebody gave me a carrot cake. Woo! Thank God it's a carrot cake. Amen. It's good for you. I take my carrot cake every day. Glory. A cake, if you make a cake, especially if you make a cake from scratch. I watched Momo, Leah's mom, make a lemon, it was a lemon cake, and it had like 20 of these little bitty layers with this stuff from heaven in the middle. <laughs> but I watched her make it from scratch. It was fascinating. What was fascinating is all the things that went in it. Some things I didn't think would go in it. She put salt in it. I was like, wow, why do you put salt in there? She said, so it'll be salty. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, she's got this flour. She's got vanilla extract. She's got, she's got lemon that she squeezed, and she also uh, grated the, the rind, did some stuff. She called it zest, zested the lemon. Woo. Zest me a lemon, amen? Now, all of those ingredients, think about this. Think how good it would be to have one of Momo's lemon cakes sitting right here, enough for everybody. We could cut everybody a piece, and everybody would be happy, and everybody would be, you know, wow, we got a piece of Momo's lemon cake at church tonight. But see, if you really like that cake and you went home, then there would always be something in you in which you thought, you know, I'll never have another bite of that cake, and that's really not acceptable because I really need like that cake. And so that's why Leah needs to make me one, amen, because <laughs> that's what I had she made. But anyway, you would find out also that the advantage of the experience of the cake was not in the individual that ate it, but in the one that made it and shared it. Because not only, see, here's the thing, you just got a piece of it. But see, they made it so they could get a piece anytime they want and then give a piece to you. So they have more activity going on in their cake drama. Amen? Then a person that just gets a piece and eats it and says, that's good. So, so say Leah's going to teach everybody how to make that cake and she gets to the table up here, puts all the ingredients and all of them out. In their, in their individual state, raw flour, raw sugar, uh, uh, eggs, uh, butter, oil, vanilla extract, all these things. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants, you know, I know there's always somebody that wants a raw egg, but please, eat it over there. Amen? <laughs> so, you know, so no, I don't want no, no raw flour, no, 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 no vanilla extract, none of that. But you take it and you mix it all together in this big mixing bowl. And then you, 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 you form it. You lay it out. Then you put it in an oven. And in an oven, really in reality, an oven's like a place of faith. If you've ever had an oven you couldn't trust. You ever had one of those? You'd put it on 200, it'd be 600. You put it on 600, it'd be 100. You're like, you know, there's a demon in my oven, you know. But we had one. Remember that one we had? We couldn't trust it. We had to figure it out mathematically, you know. It wasn't easy. But I did figure it out. Amen. <laughs> so, it goes into a place where you've got to have some faith. Some faith in it. But then out, out it comes. And then the frosting, you went over here, you took all this stuff, this cream cheese and all this stuff, and you made this frosting. And you frost the cake. Now you've got, you've got something good. Oh, you, you, you made it for yourself. I mean, if you don't like what you cook, then you ought to find someone else to cook for. Amen. So, you eat a piece of it and you're like, Man, that is good. And then I come walking by and you're like, hey, 
Would you like a piece of this cake I just made? I was going, yeah, sure. Why shouldn't I like it? I see the reaction you're having when you're eating it. Amen? I, I, see, the, I see the reaction you have when you eat it, so yeah, I, I'd like some too. So now you not only have something to feed yourself, you have something to share with other people. That's what's coming out of your life. That's what's coming out of your life. And that is the essence of what God's looking for when it comes to those he's looking for to be a part of something he wants to do in the earth. And those that are pliable enough where they're willing to go through what it takes to go through. All the things that are what? Inconvenient. Distasteful. Flowers distasteful. Yes. Distasteful. But mixed all together, it's good. Sure, get, there may be times when giving is inconvenient. Praying is inconvenient. Fearing God. There may be times when you have to, in a room of people where you have some authority, say, turn that off. We don't watch that here. Amen. See, we don't see that anymore. We wonder why things don't work like they used to. We don't do what we used to. We don't fear God like we used to. You ought to treat me and I should treat you in the light of how we fear God. If we do that, then they'll never be prejudiced. They'll never be up. They'll never be down. They'll never be to the right. They'll never be to the left. You'll be my brother. I'll be your brother. You'll be my sister. I'll be your brother. We'll be what God wants us to be in the family of God without all the other labels of the world in the world system. Amen. Amen. So fearing God, being devout, Sure, you're going to find times when that's inconvenient. Praying, always inconvenient. Thursday night, not convenient. Sure, it's not convenient. You say, well, why don't you pick a convenient night, Pastor? Well, would you show me one? <laughs> now, there's something that delights God about when it's not easy to do something and you do it anyway. There's an element of sacrifice and there's also an element of faith to that. Many times in our giving, I've said this for years and it's bore out true. When all of our bank accounts are full and we got all this money, God, God never says anything about, you know, give this. Did you know in the past five years, the year in which we had the least amount of money come into the church, we gave the most? How many were around when we believed God to give a half million dollars? Did you know we sowed that that year and that was the year in the last five in which we made the least amount of money? Isn't that incredible? You say, now why would you say that? Because that, then you know it's God. It's inconvenient. It's faith. It's something we have to do. It's something that God puts a demand on us to do. You say, well, what if we had that money back? It wouldn't be sown. And the difference between $500,000 in your hand and $500,000 sown is $5,000 in your hand can be spent and at the end of it, it's gone. $500,000 sown can continue to feed this church for 25 years. And every year we give two hundred seventy-five dollars to $350,000. You say, well, if you had saved that in the past 12 years, we'd have that church built. Would we? See, that, that's, not, that's not following God. That's not following the Holy Ghost. You'll see when that church gets built how the timing of God and how God set all of it up just to do exactly what he wanted to do at the time that he wanted to do it. Look at all the little things in your life that God has laid out like that. Don't you think he looks after the big things too? Of course he does. So let these things, go get into Acts chapter 10. Live in that chapter, especially when the interaction between him and the spirit of God and him and the angelic realm and him and him and the plan of God begins to come into fruition and how God literally, literally had to wake Peter up to the reality. Hey, Peter, this is what God has cleansed. Call thou not common or unclean. Peter still didn't get it. 
He still didn't get it. That's why his, his ministry to the Gentiles was limited and God had to use the Apostle Paul because this revealed a religious prejudice in Peter. Not so, Lord. I've ne never eaten anything common or unclean. Peter, you're living in the house of a tanner. It's an unclean, it's an unclean industry in the Jewish family. Amen. So there's always that. But the thing is, it ends up. And as Peter spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all that heard the word. And literally that's what we're looking for. Thank God when he moves and when he stirs, but when he falls, that is a different story. And I tell you, you want to do everything you can do to keep yourself in a position that when he does, you're right under where he falls because there's nothing that can radically energize your life like we're going to need for these days ahead. Amen? I mean, there's things that are really crazy out there. I laugh. I listen to Joe Morris today, but the thing that really excited me was that the true Sanhedrin who has been formed in the last few years is looking and beginning to develop the apothecary to begin the anointing oil for the Messiah. So after we leave, they've still got seven years. So if we're that close, man, we need to be busy about the master's business. Amen. Lift your hands. Heavenly Father, tonight we thank you. Lord, that Cornelius showed us through your word what keeps our hearts stirred what keeps us moving forward? What keeps the presence and glory of God in our life? And what produces your plan and your will? Let a hunger, let a hunger begin to grow on the inside of us. Lord, to be devout, to fear you, to give much, and to pray, and to pray, and to pray, and to sacrifice in all those areas. Not, not, not in some legalistic manner, but submitted and humble to you, Lord, as we submit ourselves to you in these dangerous days and we resist the devil and he flees from us in Jesus' name. Thank you for your protecting, healing power being upon all those that name the name of Jesus here at Island Church, all those that watch us on live stream. We declare a, a covering of grace. We say, devil, the blood of Jesus is against you, declaring no evil befalls us. No plague comes in our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. We thank you for it, Father. In our travels, in the righteous labor of our hands, in our witness in the community, one-on-one, -on -one, Lord, let that divine flow from heaven come down into our lives and reach out into the lives of hurting, confused, and scared people. Thank you that we're as bold as a lion, we're wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Thank you for your anointing, your grace, and your mercy upon our lives. So we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love towards you. We love you so much, Lord. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, powered by the word, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgallison.com.